102.5 FM, KXSFLP San Francisco, and KXSF.FM. You're tuned in to Spark, informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. This is Kelly Marlowe, host of Spark. If you believe in second chances, then you believe that there should be opportunities once you serve your time in prison and break the cycle of recidivism. Today, I'm talking with Andy Glazer, CEO of The Five Ventures. The Five Ventures trains ex-inmates to become entrepreneurs, giving them a chance to relaunch their lives. Thank you for joining me on Spark today, Andrew. Glad to be here. What is the biggest challenge coming out of prison? I would say, imagine, I think, if you will, uh, you know, what, what you do when you wake up in the morning, right? You, things that you take for granted. You wake up, you make some decisions about what time you're going to get up and uh, what you're going to have for breakfast, what you're going to wear that day, whether or not you're going to take a shower, things like that. When you are incarcerated, your decisions are deeply limited. You know, we make thousands of small decisions every single day. And you're in prison. Uh, someone once told me you make 10 decisions a day. And that's it. And everything else is incredibly structured and regimented. Coming back and reentering, just the nature of reentering from the incredibly structured environment in, inside prison, already you start off with this challenge. Now, think about everything that you've missed while you're inside. Uh, relationships that have drifted apart from you or that have become different, they've taken a different form. Um, skills that you weren't able to get been away for 20 years. The you know, technology uh, represents an incredible challenge of trying to understand technology when you know, there's, no, uh, there's no access to computers inside or uh, cell phones, you know, just dealing with that. Just the, the choices that you have to make can be completely overwhelming. I once uh, talked to an individual who said that you know, when he came home, his sister took him into Walmart, and he had a complete breakdown in front of the sock display because he was just completely overwhelmed by the choices there of just buying socks. But imagine that kind of compounded over, over many days. That, that's a reentry challenge. And then, most of all, there's this stigma that you face when you come home and the inability to get a job, find housing, to, be, to find a community that will accept you. Uh, you know, you compound all those things together and reentry from prison represents a tremendous challenge for people, particularly individuals who have been away for extended periods of time. There are quite a few challenges. What challenge is Defy Ventures looking to address? So we we try to address really almost all of those things. We run a program that is an inside-outside approach. So our view is that uh, reentry needs to start inside. Uh, because if you wait till you get outside to start thinking about reentry, it's too late. It's already difficult enough. But if you're truly going to defy those odds of reentry and not go back to prison, which unfortunately, depending on how you count, anywhere between 50 and 75 percent of people do recidivate, return to prison. That preparation has got to start while people are still inside. And so the program we run inside is uh, equal parts entrepreneurship programming. So folks are learning. Uh, business skills, personal development, you know, t- uh, taking accountability for the past, thinking about your, your mindset for the future, right? What do you believe that you are capable of? Uh, how do you want to 
approach life and reentry, uh, or just life in general if you've got some time left. And career development, creating a resume, personal statement, learning how to interview, starting to think about the kind of jobs that you might want, understanding uh, business etiquette, you know, getting some exposure to technology even if you can't do it uh, inside. Our program, which we call CEO of Your New Life or CEO YNL, it's about a seven-month intensive program. We have 1,200 pages of, of curriculum that they go through that, that, that we developed. It's instructor-led. And then we bring volunteers inside with us to serve as coaches and mentors. We have at least two significant volunteer events during a class. Uh, certainly during COVID, that has been put on hold. But under normal circumstances, we would bring anywhere from 30 to 50 volunteers into the time with us. And we do coaching for our participants, which we call Entrepreneurs in Training, or EITs. Spend a day inside where volunteers will provide coaching on, on resumes, on their personal statements, to a, a mock interview format. And then we also provide coaching on business plans, business concepts. Um, as they work to develop a business concept, which then they will pitch to volunteers at the end of the program when we hold a Shark Tank-style pitch competition inside prison. And while the ideas that they come up with are often very creative and, and viable, what is more important is the ideas they generate about themselves, which is uh, allows them to move from uh, a mindset of, you know, I can't, I'm not worth anything, to one of, you know, I do have value, I do have something to offer, um, I do have unique gifts and talents that I can put to use in positive ways during the remainder of my term, but also when I am able to release and reenter society. So then when they come out, we are there to meet them when they return to the community to be, so they can join uh, the Defy community outside. And in that Defy community, we continue to offer programming initially around reentry and career readiness. So we'll do uh, resume uh, polishes and, and mock interviews. Uh, we have volunteers who provide coaching. And then we are building a network of employer partners to try to smooth the way for, for individuals to uh, be interviewed for jobs. Um, but we also prepare them to go and look for jobs themselves and, and get interviews. And then we have a pro-social community that's uh, where we have community uh, meetups uh, once a month for them just to come and be in a place where they know they're accepted and supported, where both peers and volunteers and staff can support them in, in a successful reentry. Once they have stabilized in reentry, which is to say they have found a, a, a place to live and have basic income from at least a part-time job, then we would, for an entrepreneurship uh, pathway where they can, if they'd like, uh, if they would like to pursue the launch of a small business, uh, then we have additional support and curriculum for development and launch of a small business. And ultimately, we hope to be able to provide a measure of seed capital for, for individuals who do go all the way through our selective accelerator program and are ready to launch a business. That's amazing, the levels of support that the five interests provide. It is a commitment to become an entrepreneur for anyone. Is Absolutely. the commitment or hurdle greater for the ex-inmates in your program? Yeah, so certainly, uh, you know, while we teach entrepreneurship as central to our program, um, we, we don't have an expectation that everybody that does our program is going to, uh, you know, pursue the launch of a small business. Because entrepreneurship is really difficult. You know, in, in reality, look, if we see 10% of the individuals who complete our programming actually launch businesses, that would be a home run to us. You know, we're hoping next year... Uh, in the next two years to launch between 50 and 60 businesses and, and to raise a, a fund to be able to provide seed capital to them. But for everybody else, 
they re-enter, find a job, place to live, uh, and you particularly find a job that is sustain will sustain them, making at least fifteen dollars an hour, and uh, and is fulfilling to them, and they don't go back to prison. Right, that's that right there is a major win. So we we use entrepreneurship as really a tool here because it is really a transformative context. You know, if you think of any entrepreneur that you've ever known, right, they had to believe they were capable of doing something, right? They had to believe they had those unique gifts and talents that somebody wanted wanted from them, right, either as a product or a service. So when you meet people in prison, they've been in prison for a while. More often than not, they've lost their sense of self-worth and, and lost their sense of humanity as well because prisons are, are very inhumane places. And when we meet them and they come into our program, we say, listen, you're not a – you're not an inmate anymore. You're not a convict. Uh, you're not a criminal because we don't work with criminals, right? We work with people, people who have admittedly made mistakes in their lives and pretty significant mistakes in their life. Many of them have done something really terrible, but they are still human beings. And restoring that humanity and giving them a chance to, to change the narrative about themselves, something they might have done when they were 17 or 18 or 20 or 21, right? And now they're 40. They, they're, not, they're not that same person now. And giving them an opportunity to say, you know, who am I now? And who do I want to be? Bring in a, a healthy dose of, of empathy and humanization when we bring volunteers in to provide some support and, and through the curriculum, really doing some, some significant self-examination. And then you layer in this entrepreneurship idea of like, okay, so what is it, you know, blue sky, what do you, what do you want to do? And then you force that, that discussion of, hey, what are your gifts and talents that you can put to use? as an entrepreneur. And then when they pitch that idea and they have people who are coming in to see them pitch that idea, and that is a, a tremendous validation of the fact that they have something to offer. Uh, and then when they come out, right, whether they want to be an entrepreneur or not, doesn't really matter. They still have gained these skills. And, and even if they don't become entrepreneurs, almost everybody in prison is entrepreneurial. What we call that is we create intrapreneurs, which are people who might go work for someone else and bring that entrepreneurial skill set and mindset to support another person's business. And it just means that they, they're, you know, self-starter and they bring initiative and creativity and perseverance and resilience into what they do. And those are all skills that also help in re-entering successfully. So I love using entrepreneurship as an empowerment model. Are there certain kind of businesses that the ex-inmates have been most successful in after the program? Yeah, absolutely. So for our, our uh, EITs who have released our, our returning citizens, you know, the businesses typically are more service-oriented. So we see barbershops or commercial cleaning, fitness-related, a lot of mobile-type businesses. Because, you know, when we the parameters we give them for their businesses are it needs to start with less than $20,000 of startup capital, and it should be cash flow positive within three months. No storefront initially, just to keep those, that overhead cost low. You know, sometimes we'll see, uh, like, T-shirt companies or, um, you know, we've seen some other really innovative stuff, food, a lot of food businesses, a lot of great cooks in, in, in prison. So, you know, in, in our New York chapter, we've got uh, catering, cupcake business, cookies, uh, things like that. You know, the ideas are pretty simple, but they're not, you know, the program is not designed to, to, to find the next unicorn startup that's going to turn into like Slack or, or Uber, right? It's really to help people create community-based businesses that in some cases can scale up where they can employ others, hopefully other formerly incarcerated uh, individuals. But the, yeah, those are the kinds of businesses that we see. And that's why, you know, when we look at seed capital, you know, we're trying to raise enough money to be able to provide 
up to ten thousand dollars of seed capital to help a business launch because that actually it's a, that's a, a significant amount of money for people to launch a business. You, you know, a lot of people launch businesses with far less than that. It's great to hear that they do have funding and support after the program because it would be very difficult to be told that you can do all these things and be trained to do it, but then not have the resources and the support mm-hmm. to execute it. So it sounds like after the training, they do have access to funding and support to to make sure that what they have learned and what they're creating will have a path. Yeah, and a lot of it's about a network, right? I mean, um, our volunteers, we have a tremendous network of volunteers, uh, primarily from the business community, who want to continue to support people and, and put their skills to work to help the Defy EITs you know, with their both inside and outside, uh, with the continued development of their skills. And the business community, the, the reason why we really look for people from the business community to be part of our volunteer business is because what we believe is that we cannot solve this issue of mass incarceration and, and recidivism and return to prison rates without the business community. If people cannot find employment when they come home, they're very likely to return to prison. And how are you so, achieving that with the business community? So a couple of ways. Um, one is, is that we invite them to come into prison with us 50 at a time, right? Nothing changes people's perspectives faster than spending a day in prison with us and meeting individuals and having a human experience and recognizing that we're all individuals and there's, we have far more in common than separates us as, as differences and that they meet people inside who they recognize made some, you know, again, serious mistakes when they were much, much younger and now are really hungry for an opportunity to do well and to do good. Everybody in prison isn't an axe murderer who's, you know, who is, uh, you know, going to be a danger to them and their employees, right? So my understanding is you have all these young people who make youthful mistakes. Now they have this permanent criminal record that's following them everywhere they go, whether they're trying to find housing, trying to find a job. How do they overcome the fact that this record is always going to be checked? Yeah, well, that, this is where it's so important for this for the business community to start to change their perceptions and practices. So we want businesses to see that this is a, an untapped talent pool for their workforce and that these individuals will be great additions to their workforce and that they're not going to bring any kind of uh, heightened risk and danger in because that's, that's just not what we see. And certainly there's no data to prove that out. Uh, and, and the other thing is, to, to your point on background checks, unless people are doing what's called a live scan, which goes all the way back to childhood, right, the entire lifetime of criminal history, uh, most background checks really only go back seven years. It's kind of a newsflash to, to employers. You probably have somebody working for you with a criminal history, and you just don't know about it. But seven years uh, is a long time you know, to wait. Well, but if you, if you come out of prison and your offense was 20 years ago, you will not pop on a seven-year background check. But let's say if you, you just got out and you have this record, yeah. you don't want to be sitting around for seven years before you can get housing no, and job. Right, but, and so. uh, of course, of course. My, my point was simply just that most employers don't realize that their background checks go back seven years. And there are people who have offenses from far earlier than that, and they just don't even mm-hmm. know about it. And, and the fact is, they're great employees, <laughs> and they just don't even know. If employers continue to live in this world of like, oh, we're not hiring anybody with a felony on their background or criminal history, then they're excluding people who could be great employees. And I'm not saying that people should hire anybody who comes across their door, 
right? You still interview people. What I'm saying is that if they employ more of a fair chance approach to employment, that starts to offer individuals coming out of prison a fair chance for employment. And so if you, if you, if you become a fair chance employer, if you say, I'm going to be a fair chance employer, what you're saying is we won't exclude you as a result of a criminal history. And that opens the door up for people to have an honest conversation. There's a, there's a, a, a great background check company out there called Checker, which is uh, in the Bay Area. You know, on their website, they've got a great kit. Uh, support kit on this. What they talk about in there is what they call the uh, what we call the nature time nature test, which is, you know, if somebody discloses they have a criminal history, right, and then pops on the background check, right, then what that is an opportunity to do is to understand more. What was the nature of the crime? How long ago did it happen? And what was the nature of of their transformation? Who are they now? And then you can make an informed decision about whether they could be a good part of your workforce. You know, when you meet somebody and uh, by all of their accounts, right, in the interview, someone says, hey, this person would be great. They're my top choice, right? But if, you know, if you're not a fair chance employer, then that individual doesn't know, can I disclose or not? Longer than seven years ago, maybe they won't even find it, but then they do. And then they get fired for, awkward. Then it's this awkward position. So if instead businesses would, one, look at their HR policies, which in many cases completely prohibit them from hiring anybody with a criminal history, right? It's just like straight up, no. And and in most cases, that's not legally required of them, right? Sometimes it is, but most cases it's not, right? So if their policy instead was, listen, we'll give everybody a fair chance. We're going to interview them like we'd interview anybody else. And if we find, if we, if we understand uh, that they have a criminal history, then we will employ this nature time nature test with a little committee to examine that. And then make a decision rather than just saying, absolutely not, can't do it, they have a criminal history. It's complicated. It's nuanced. There's a lot in there. But, but that's the basic idea. When we do the work that we do at Defy, part of our mission is the service that we do with you know, currently and formerly incarcerated. But the other part of our mission is really trying to change perceptions and mindsets in the business community about this idea that if somebody committed a, a criminal offense, that they could never work for you. Right, because if you don't get a second chance, then what do they have to go back to except to the oh, same life it, they it, knew that, before? Yeah, it, it, it's what we call, that, in that case, it's what we call a second sentence, right? They paid their price, the state imposed on them, their first sentence, and now they're out. And we're saying as a society, sorry, you will never be forgiven. You will never have opportunity. You are continuing to serve a second sentence now forever. <laughs> And this is where I think intellectual honesty about criminal justice becomes really important. Because when you ask people generally to raise their hands, like you're, you know, I do this at a workshop. Hey, who believes in second chances? Oh, a lot of, lots of hands go up. But then you put in the context of the criminal histories, many fewer hands. And so what I encourage people to do is say, well, listen, if you believe that sentences should end, then what you're saying is, okay, when people go to prison, we are exacting a price, right, for their offense. Right? They're going to pay a price for that, a punishment. And hopefully, if our criminal justice functions the way it was supposed to, it would be about rehabilitation, willing then to say you paid your price, and now you are welcome back to society, you know, having your life and being a contributor. And here's the other thing that a lot of people don't know. 95% of people in prison will release. Almost everybody gets out. Right? This idea of people being sent away for life, it's very few. All the people are going to come out. We as a society have got to ask ourselves, do we want them coming out angrier than when they went in? Or should we be investing in their rehabilitation, 
with programming, like Defy, like countless other programs that are great that are out there, so that when they come home, they have a shot at being a contributor, which everyone I've met in my Defy classes wants to be. I've never met anybody in my Defy class who says, I want to get out and go back to prison again. It's almost like if that's all you know, then what else are you going to do? What is the most successful or your favorite success story that you like to keep replicating through the program? Well, I'll give you a couple of examples. One is certainly uh, my friend uh, Timothy, who was locked up for about 12 years. He had been involved in in gangs and and, uh, he released and he did the Defy program. And he also was able to get uh, some vocational training in in, uh, commercial cleaning. And when he came out, you know, we were able to pair him up with a mentor. You know, not only did he start working two jobs and then go to school and mentor youth on the side, he started his own commercial cleaning business with Defy, and he got that off the ground. Now, the commercial cleaning business is still going, although I think he's found that it's, with his growing family, he also has a full-time job. But he's doing really well, and he's a model member of his community, a valued uh, employee, uh, a tech health firm. I think he might even be getting stock. He mentored youth on the weekends, and uh, he comes back into prison with us to talk to other people about his, his transformation and his success. And Timothy is a guy who just needed some guidance and a fair chance. Timothy is not unique, right? We meet guys, men and women all the time who come out and they just they're looking for that chance. And I would imagine um, that they're hungrier in some ways, right, compared to people who have other oh, options. Yeah, yeah, 100%. You know, these are individuals who will be incredibly loyal if they're given an opportunity and will work really hard. We do workshops with companies. We come do a fair chance hiring workshop to kind of help people really think through what this means for them and to start really doing some critical examination of their own views on these things. This is a group of people, a population, that if they've done the work, inside. They deserve that fair chance. And that's why it's so important that employers are open to have that conversation and make it clear up front that, hey, listen, if you have a criminal history, please disclose that so that we can have a conversation. We won't exclude you on the basis of your criminal history. Right? And then that makes it possible to have that conversation versus somebody coming in as a job candidate. Is this person going to exclude me because of my criminal history or not? And you know, ban the box is great, and in California, we have Ban the Box and, and many other states. But, but Ban the Box only works until that conditional job offer happens when everybody runs a background check. But then they run the background check, they find it, and then they exclude the person. They find some reason to exclude the person. So it's different when a company says, listen, we're a fair chance employer. We won't exclude you on the basis of your criminal history if you are otherwise qualified. We will have that conversation with you. Now, some companies may say, Listen, we just we can't have sex offenders here, right? We're going to draw a line there. Fine, I would say be upfront about that. If you're if you're saying you're a fair employer, however, we're not able to certain classes of offenses won't work for us. Well, you okay. make a really good point. If you can have this conversation early and expectations are set on both sides, then it's mm-hmm. easier to proceed forward. You know, with complete transparency. Exactly. And know what's going to work for both exactly. parties. We certainly coach. Our graduates, when we help them develop a personal statement for the purposes of interviews, right, we, t- we coach them to disclose. You know, we recognize there's nuances there. In the world we live in, it's not always going to make sense for them. When it's a fair chance employer who says up front, we're a fair chance employer, then, then they have this opportunity to say, look, let me tell you about myself. You know, I haven't always been the person you see in front of you. I made some serious mistakes when I was much younger. I grew up in this area. I, you know, ended up running with a, a bad group of people and... 
got went down this road. I served time. Let me tell you what I did to transform myself. Right? And then there's an opportunity to build trust up front. And, and that makes a lot of difference. The key is also the focus on fair chance, that we all have to focus yeah. on fair chance, period. And what does that mean to us, right? And, and, and that's where that critical examination of perceptions and beliefs really is important. Some people say, oh, we're a fair chance employer. We'll hire anybody with a nonviolent criminal history. I push hard on people to say, why? Why nonviolent? Like, what does that mean? Like, what do you think a violent conviction means? Because there's people with a, a violent offense on the record who actually never hurt anybody. And there are people with violent offenses who, if you meet them, tell you about themselves and who they are, and then they tell you what happened. You're like, oh, okay, I still hire that guy. It's about fear, <laughs> right? Because... Yeah, absolutely. And emotion, right? Fear, emotion, anger, politics, all those things, right? And and risk, right? And so, you know, as an organization, we, we love partnering with employers because that gives us an opportunity to de-risk. Right, because they they know our program. They meet the people who go through our program. They say, "Hey, listen, we'll interview people who have finished the five program because we know something about them now." Right, because you will only send those who are prepared. We'll send people who have graduated our program. That means they've done seven months of work with us, fifteen hours a week. You know, interacting with volunteers, and they know they're supported. So it is a way to kind of crack that open to say, "Listen, you want to be a fair chance employer and partner with us? Great." What is the success rate for those who have gone through the Defy Ventures program? On an employment basis, we've seen about 85% remain employed after three years, compared to 73 for nationally for criminal people, criminal histories. Citizenism, which is say that return to prison rate, our rate of return to prison after one year is less than less than 10%. The national rate is 30%. A three-year return to prison rate nationally is at least 50%. That's how we're doing. Well, it's just inspiring to hear of Defy's empowerment model. Where can people find more about Defy Ventures and how they can make a difference? Take a look at our website, uh, defyventures.org. See all the various programs on there. We are running virtual programming for our folks who have been released, our post-release, uh, both business coaching, career readiness type workshops. We have an accelerator program. So for folks who are a little more uh, further along uh, in their careers as entrepreneurs, or as uh, business leaders, uh, if they want to get involved with our more advanced business programming, uh, we have programming running uh, eight states right now, uh, hoping to expand to a few more few more states uh, in 2021. Thank you for sharing your empowerment model with, through Defy Ventures, and thank you for being on Spark today. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to be able to talk about this. I really appreciate it.